I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been in a subject about God creating evil. This will be the 18th message on that. When you tell people that don't like that, God creates evil, every time, if they know anything at all about the Bible, they'll say, well, evil just means it just means calamity. Well, that's, it certainly means that. It's like I've said, uh, when the World Trade Center came down because men commandeered some airplanes and crashed the planes into it and they murdered all the people in the building that died, nearly 3,000, and they murdered all the people on the plane. Was that a calamity? Yeah, and it was sin also. It was calamity and sin. Every time you find the word evil in the Old Testament, it's either ra or ra'ah. Ra'ah and ra are all the same. One is the verb, the other is the noun. And that means, it means worthless or bad. It's everything that we think evil is worthless or bad and I put a kind of a subtitle God creates evil because of disobedience so when you have evil coming into your life it's usually because of disobedience what it is what evil is that God creates we would put it this way it is a razor strap or you might call it a peach tree limb if you're from the country. When you say, and the mother would say, go out there and get me a, a, a limb off, get me a switch off that tree. And then you bring it in and she spanks you with it. This is what God spanks us with is evil. Even when it says that in Isaiah 45, 7, the whole context of that is about Cyrus coming in with, a, with the Persian armies and just crushing Babylon because of their wickedness and it's and that's exactly what he's talking about now what i'm doing i'm if you if you don't think god created evil you have never read the book of jeremiah very slowly that's what you got to do is read it slow i've gone through much of jeremiah jeremiah was he was a preacher of judgment he was not a preacher of conversion he wasn't trying to convert israel he told jeremiah pray not for this people i will not hear your prayer jeremiah he said if job if job and samuel and david were here i wouldn't hear their prayer to deliver israel he said you've got on my last nerve it's over Israel's going into captivity. And you're going to find that's true when Jeremiah keeps telling them. He keeps telling them. The main reason for all this, and Jeremiah's going to talk about 70 years in Babylon, in Babylon, before, this is before Daniel talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel, 70 times 7. 70 years they went without 
keeping their sabbatical years. They had a sabbatical year, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You see, Jim, you're always talking about that. That's what everything that got Israel in trouble with God was about. It was about the sabbatical years. You find that, by the way, Jeremiah mentions in we'll be reading that today he mentions the sabbatical years in this book he mentioned the 70 years they're going to have to go over to Babylon before Daniel in fact Daniel 9 and 2 Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah concerning the 70 years they're going to have to spend in Babylon Daniel is in Babylon He's in Babylon, and Jeremiah is over here in Israel. Jeremiah is here when Nebuchadnezzar came and overthrew Israel. He had a commander, in, he had a commander of his army. His his commander was named Nebuzaradan. U z a r r a d a n. Nebuzaradan sounds kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, but it's not. He was the commander. And and when Nebuchadnezzar, when he tells him to go into, into Israel, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you take care of Jeremiah. He tried to warn this people. He's a good man, a righteous man. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar was a believer because he's the one that made the statement that all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing that God doeth according to his will among the inhabitants of the heaven and the inhabitants of the earth and nobody can stay the hand of God or say to God what are you doing what doest thou that was Nebuchadnezzar's statement sounded like a believer and he told Nebuchadnezzar you take care of you take care of this man this man uh, that we're talking about, Jeremiah. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, this is in Jeremiah, the 40th chapter, he tells Jeremiah, you can come to Babylon. We'll give you lands over there. You tried to be honest with this people and tell them that I was coming to destroy them. There was two reasons that they were destroyed. Number one, they went after all these idol gods which is the same thing that Constantine, many years later, 325 A.D., and he he, uh, declared that the Feast of Saturn, he was going to call it Christ's Mass because all of these hordes were rampaging across Europe and all of the monarchs of the Caesars of Rome they for several hundred years they said we can't handle all these crazy people the Goths and the Visigoths and Huns they were disorganized hordes and they didn't care if you killed them they would come in rampaging into your city on horseback bows and arrows all kinds of weapons they didn't care you can kill me but I'll kill one of you two of you five of you first and that That scared these Caesars, particularly Constantine. So what he said, I'll bring all of their gods into the church at Rome. I've said this over and over. That's everything that the Old Testament's about. Everything. 
because God kept kept telling Israel, don't go after any other gods. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. You're going to go through the wilderness 40 years. Then you go into the land and be under judges. And you'll be under judges 375 plus some years, depending on who you thought the first judge was. And then you'll be under kings. You'll be under kings in the kingdom of God, which was Israel from First Samuel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. That is the that is the kingdoms of Israel, and they really got involved in these other gods when in First Kings they got involved with Baal in the grove, and you know the story. I've told you about it. There's two men that got them in trouble with God. One was a righteous man. Another was an unrighteous man. And both of them were kings of Israel. The first one was Solomon. Solomon in 1 Kings 11th chapter, Solomon allows, he marries 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine was a secondary wife. So they could have sex with all those wives and all those concubines and have children by them. Solomon had children running everywhere. And he said, after he got old, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, everything in my life is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. Vexation is a word in the Hebrew. It means to grab for the wind. He said, "I grabbed for the wind with these women, and I couldn't get I couldn't get hold of the wind." Well, that he was the first guy that well, they were worshiping Baal in the grove, and the judges, and they brought that in when they come out of the land of Moab coming out of the wilderness. Here's the wilderness, that little V-shaped piece of land there. And they came through the land of Moab, which to us is southern Jordan. And when they went to Baal Peor, which is a a system in Jordan, Baal Peor, P-E-O-R, they took their God with them back into Israel. That's why when you get to the end of Jeremiah, he will say, he'll use these terms, against Moab. And he takes a whole chapter and goes tell you what God's going to do to Moab for them polluting Israel. Then he will say, against Ammon. And he's going to tell you how he's going to destroy Ammon. Ammon is northern Jordan. And they had the gods of northern Jordan, Molech. Molech was northern Jordan. And Moab was Shemash. And that was both were sun gods. Both were sun gods. And then he'll say against Egypt. And that's because Israel got involved in the gods of Egypt over here. Here's Egypt right here. And then he'll say, against Damascus, that's the capital of Assyria, that's the oldest known city 
in the world. And he'll say, against Damascus. And then he'll say, against Tyre and Sidon. When he says this, God, he says, God is against all these people for polluting his people Israel with all of their gods. And he'll say, against Babylon. And that's the last thing he says against. That's in chapter 51 and 52 of Jeremiah. And we're going to kind of cover that. I thought at first I would just kind of sneak through Jeremiah. I think Jeremiah is truly one of the greatest men that ever lived, if not the greatest of the Old Testament, because he didn't slow down or stop, and nothing stopped him. And they were always threatening his life, and he was afraid of them. God says, Jeremiah, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. I'll make sure you don't die. Go do it. Whew. How would you like God to say that to you? Now, I've gone through a lot of Jeremiah. I started to tell you there's two reasons why Nebuchadnezzar came over. Because Israel went after all these gods while they were a nation under kings. Number one. Number two, they would not pay their tribute money. The king, the king, there was always one man in the world that was more powerful than anybody else. And during the Old Testament times under Israel, it was Nebuchadnezzar. It was Babylon. Even Egypt tried to come up and attack Nebuchadnezzar at this time and when they tried to come over and attack Nebuchadnezzar that was during the reign of Josiah king of Israel Josiah and he was one of the most righteous kings that ever lived in Israel and when he he got his chariots up and started to started to attack the king of Egypt and that's when Josiah died uh, one of the Egyptians pulled a bow out and and shot an arrow and it struck Josiah and he died. And then Josiah has some wicked, evil sons. Jehoahaz. 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 I'll get in a minute. Jehoahaz. And then he's taken over to Egypt by Necho, the king of Egypt. He's dethroned. When you get to Jehoahaz, right before him is Josiah. And his, and he's the last legitimate king of Israel. The rest of these are vassal kings. Vassal means servant kings. And you had Jehoahaz, then you had Jehoahaz. You had another son, son here of Josiah had another son, Jehoiakim. Yeah, I spelled it wrong. K-I-M. And then he had a son, and he's a wicked king. He's the guy that, he's the man that when Josiah wrote his first book of Josiah, the and Josiah had Baruch, he was his stenographer or his secretary that wrote the book. And they took it to Jehoiakim. 
in the book, and you'll find this in the book of Jeremiah. Look at Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim read it, and he talked all about how God was going to come, and God was going to destroy Israel by Nebuchadnezzar, and he told him how that uh, the king was going to be carried away into captivity and made Jehoiakim so mad he just he took the book and cut it up with a knife and threw it in the fire and burned it. So this book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah number two because the first book of Jeremiah was destroyed and God came back to Jeremiah. I believe he quoted this thing verbatim over again. Now, then you had the the his son Jehoiakim's son, which was Josiah's grandson, Jehoiakim, J-E-H-O-I-A-C-H-I-N. Notice this is C-H-I-M. His father was K-I-M. This is the way his father, he was wicked. He was wicked, and God had him killed. And Jehoiakim was wicked, but not as bad as his father. Then when Jehoiakim is carried off to Babylon, then Mataniah, M-A-T-T-A-N-I-A-H, and Mataniah, his name was changed to Zedekiah by the king of Babylon. H. K-I-H. Zedekiah was the last king to ever rule any portion of Israel. He was the last king of Judah. Judah was southern Israel. Southern Israel was comprised of the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. But southern Israel was called, was called Judah, along with the tribe being called Judah. Now, where I am... Since they wouldn't pay tribute, Nebuchadnezzar had every reason to go over there and do what he did. And they also, God kind of coupled that with the fact it was time for them to be carried away. And God said, just because you won't keep my covenant don't mean I won't keep one mind with you. So when he took them away to Babylon, he didn't forsake Israel. He took them over there. So they could stay 70 years while the land would enjoy. The Bible puts it this way. The land had to enjoy her Sabbaths. Because we talked about crop rotation. Farmers cannot plant the same crop every year. And they did that for 490 years. They couldn't have been growing hardly anything at the end of that 490 years. Don't you know they were standing around and saying, wonder what's wrong with our crops? Well, you're not keeping the sabbatical years and leaving the land life fallow every seventh year. Now, I want to go back to where we are. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the bad guy in this. He was God's servant. The Bible calls him the anointed of the Lord in the 45th chapter of Isaiah. How, why was he anointed? Because he was going to do the job of taking Israel away into Babylon. And while they're in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy all the nations around them for what they did to Israel by causing them to be involved in all their gods. 
And not only that, he's going to have them in Babylon so that when Babylon is overthrown in 539 B.C. by the Persian Empire, and I keep saying, I like to identify these empires with today's nations because it helps you to see who it is. The Mediterranean Sea is the, all the biblical lands and Persia is what we call Iran or Pakistan or Afghanistan. And Babylon is this, see that little line? That is Iraq. Babylon is Iraq built upon the Euphrates River. One of the most interesting things you can read, take your McClinic and Strong, look up in the B volume, look up Babylon. It'll tell you that they had walls that were like 380 feet high and they it went down into the sides they straddled the Euphrates River Babylon it's the craziest thing in the world Babylon was like building your house on sand because they built it on a river and that doesn't work and they said we've got these huge walls that are nearly 400 feet high like the height of a skyscraper. And the Euphrates River ran down, and the, and the Tigris ran down, and right before, about 100 miles before the Persian Gulf, Persian Gulf, there's the Persian Gulf right there. That's where we had that, that short war in the early 90s against Saddam Hussein right down here in the Persian War. And he was the ruler of what we would call Iraq, but it was Babylon of the ancient world. Now Nebuchadnezzar said, not Nebuchadnezzar, Saddam Hussein said he was going to rebuild Babylon on the Euphrates. We're going to read some verses in the 51st chapter of, of uh, Jeremiah in the 13th chapter of Isaiah that says Babylon will never be built again. God had Saddam Hussein killed. For no other fact, he said he was going to rebuild Babylon on the Euphrates. God says it will never happen. So God fixed that. So Babylon was it's straddled the Euphrates. If we look at a bird's eye view, bird's eye view, the Euphrates River is a monstrous river. It's larger than the Mississippi. And it ran around Babylon. Around Babylon. They constructed it this way. And it ran through Babylon. And each side of Babylon was 14 miles by 14 miles by 14 by 14. And Babylon said, there's no way we can be conquered. Well, God says, I put it in the mind of Cyrus to go north of the of Babylon and to build a dam and block Babylon off and divert the river out here in the Arabian Desert. And you'll find that in the book of Herodotus and you'll find it in Isaiah 44 and 45. At the very end of Isaiah, the Bible says the river will be dried up. But God had Cyrus do that and then he comes in and you'll find the end of Babylon in Jeremiah 51 
51, 52. You'll find it in Daniel, the the fifth chapter. That's that's the word where Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall that your kingdom's number, you're found in the you're weighing the balances and found wanting. Tico, Tico, Upsun, you serve you person, something like that. It's ancient writing. And he called and he told he called Daniel in and said, I'll give you my kingdom if you can tell me what that writing is and he told him you're waiting about five warning you're going to die tonight and he did that that was the end of Babylon you also find it in Isaiah the 13th chapter all these are similar chapters and you got it in Isaiah 44 and 45 and you can find the end of Babylon and all of that. That's how Jeremiah ends in the 51st and 52nd chapter. Now, let me resume where I left off, left the message. Jeremiah is one of the great scholars of all time because he attacks all these reasons. Now, where I am, I'm in the 32nd chapter, and Zedekiah is well let me just start in verse 1 the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah king of Judah now if you remember I read to you from the 24th chapter 2nd Kings that it was that Zedekiah only reigned for 11 years so this is the year and during his 11th year reign that's when Nebuchadnezzar sends Nebuchadnezzar in to attack Israel and and Nebuchadnezzar says I'm going to burn this to the ground but before he said that God had Jeremiah tell him God's going to have this city burnt to the ground he's going to have your temple really ripped off of its 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 foundation which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar for then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem. They're going to burn it. They're going to destroy it. When they would go in and conquer a city, they would pull everything down. They would burn it to the ground. Then they would take a plow, plow it up, and sow salt all through it so it couldn't grow nothing for a long time. So when Nebuchadnezzar got through with Jerusalem... It looked like a wasteland. Now, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the prison. This is before he's hung in the mire. He's not hung in the mire till you get over here in the 40th chapter. He's not hung in the mire till then. So he's in prison. Zedekiah's put him in prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. The king of Judah is Zedekiah at this time. See, look here. Here's the kings of Judah. Here's the kings of all of Israel. The last king was Zedekiah of Mataniah. And the king of Babylon gave him this name Zedekiah. That was a Babylonian name. If you notice... Northern Israel has been carried away in 722 B.C. 
So they've been long carried away. This is 597 to 586. So this is 586 B.C. I've told you that a thousand times. Zedekiah is the last king. And he's got, and Jeremiah's being locked up. Now, Jeremiah's been around for 40 years. So, you see, he was around when Josiah was king. In fact, when we go to Second Kings, Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter, he'll tell us how that Jeremiah, when Josiah was killed, he gave a big eloquent uh, obituary to to wonderful King Josiah. So Josiah knew knew Jeremiah, and Jehoiakim wanted to kill him, and Zedekiah's princes all wanted to kill him, and he locked him up before he hung him in the mire. Jeremiah was truly my hero. At this time, I've never known anybody in the Bible that I had a greater respect for than this man. Now let's keep reading. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city Jerusalem you got to know who he's talking about. He's talking about Jerusalem. I give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he's going to take it, burn it up, carry everybody away into captivity, except for the poor. He makes sure he gets all of the workers and metals because they're the ones that can build weapons. So the first two deportations in 605... B.C. in 597, 96, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's where he carries anybody that can oppose him, anybody that works in metals and can make weapons and swords and spears, he takes them away. And he leaves the poor in Israel. And believe it or not, the poor, a lot of the poor, try to rebel against him when he comes in in 586 B.C. And that's Israel's demise. There's no more Israel after 586. All right. Verse 4, And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape. You're not going to get away from this, Zedekiah. Shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered under the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him mouth to mouth and his eyes shall behold the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. The only thing is, you'll read it in this book when Nebuchadnezzar comes in in that 39th chapter and he takes Zedekiah. Zedekiah runs for his life. And Jeremiah keeps telling him, don't run, go to Babylon, you'll be safe. But he tries to go through the garden house and sneak away from Nebuchadnezzar. And they chase him down, bring him back in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Say, take a look at your two boys. This is the last you'll ever see from us, see of them. And they kill him before his very eyes. And then they take a hot poker, go over and punch Zedekiah's eyes out, tie his hands behind his back, and take him away naked into Babylon. That's the way they took their captives. 
and he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, verse 5, and there shall be until, until I visit him, saith the Lord, though ye fight with the Chaldeans, we, you will not prosper, you will not win. You're not going to win, Zedekiah. And he just, he knows Jeremiah's a prophet, but he just ignores him. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, the word was Jesus pre-incarnate. In the beginning was the word, words with God, and the word was God, the same in the beginning with God. And all things were made by the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us in John the first chapter. And behold, Hanamael, the son of Shalom, thine uncle shall come unto thee, saying, By thee my field that is in Anathoth. Anathoth was a section of the land of Benjamin. When you look at Benjamin on the lap, on the map, it's right here above Judah. So right inside of Benjamin was the land of Anathoth. That was the home of Jeremiah's beginning. He was born in Anathoth. So this man is coming. What he's fixing to tell us, he's telling us about contracts. I've told you about contracts. They had to have witnesses to the contract. And the nearest of kin, he's telling this man, this man, uh, Hamanael, he is telling Jeremiah, you're the nearest of kin. The nearest of kin can't buy this land. And all you had to do was take a piece of clothing off and hand it to the other man, particularly your shoe. In these contracts, you remember Boaz and Ruth? Boaz and Ruth. Ruth loved Boaz. Boaz loved Ruth. But Ruth, but Boaz had a nearest of kinsmen. Nearest of kin. And they go to this nearest of kinsmen and say, you can buy this woman. Boaz wanted her. So God arranged for that man, that nearest of kinsmen. We don't know who he was. He was the nearest of kin. And he said, I cannot buy her. I've got a wife already. So Boaz was the next in line. And they said, Boaz, you have the right of inheritance. That's exactly what's happening here. You have the right of inheritance, and Boaz takes off his shoe and hands it to the nearest of kinsmen. That made the contract firm. Now remember, when they had contracts, they would take the two witnesses out in public. You find the two witnesses in Numbers 35. In Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 19. And two witnesses would affirm the contract. But except in the 19th chapter, the Bible says, if one witness, 
It's not reliable and he's lying about the situation, then he has to suffer the same penalty that he was threatening this man he was testifying against. If it was death, if it was death, then he had to die. I believe that's exactly why the woman that was taken in adultery in John 8 and Jesus was probably riding in the ground that particular commandment. You can look at that. Let me just give that to you real quick. It's very important. Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. And this will tell you if a man, that's why they walked away. First of all, they had the had had the man there too. And he wasn't there. He was part of that adulterous affair, supposedly. We don't know if she committed adultery or not. But when they evidently they were lying about this woman, because here's what the Bible says. Verse 15, Deuteronomy 19, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. Now today, this day and time, they can get a man that's in prison for 50 years for drug dealing, and if they want to get a, uh, if they want to get one of the heads of these cartels, then they can get that guy that's in prison for 50 years whose word is not reliable and get him to testify a drug cartel leader, and that holds water in our courts. And it doesn't hold water because the guy's lying, and they will reduce his sentence maybe to 10 years. They had to have two witnesses. They had to be reliable, and if they found out one was lying, here's what the cost was. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, for any sin, and any sin that he sinneth. It has to be two reliable men. At the mouth of two witnesses, at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. That's exactly what the Bible's talking about in Matthew, the 17th chapter, and the 15th chapter when he's talking about, or the 18th chapter, I believe it is, when he's talking about where two or three are gathered together. Two or three witnesses. That's what it's talking about. And then he says, verse 16, If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in these days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. They're going to question them to the hilt. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. Boy, that's it. So let's go back over here to Jeremiah 32. He's saying, you're the nearest of kinsmen, Jeremiah. This is your homeland. Buy it. What's so amazing, Jerusalem was in his homeland. So so Jeremiah's going to possess Jerusalem. This is amazing because it goes along with what Nebuchadnezzar did to Jeremiah. He said, this land is all yours. You can have it. Well, legally, 
among the Jews, it belonged to Jeremiah because of this contract. Now let's read it. And Hanamael said, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, your home, your hometown, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Evidently, the next of kin has walked away. So Hamanael, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison. He was in prison when he was going to re- redeem his own land. According to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, By my field, I pray thee, that is an Anathoth which is on the country of Benjamin. That's right here. Jerusalem is in the land of Benjamin. People would think it's in Judah because the king comes out of Judah, but he reigns on the throne in Benjamin. So Benjamin is is numbered along with Judah as the southern kingdom. You got to have the king coming out of Judah, and he sits on the throne in Benjamin. And that's why God retained Benjamin, because Saul was the first man king in Israel. He was out of Benjamin. Benjamin was the twelfth son of Jacob, and Judah was the fourth. And out of Judah would come the king. Now let's keep reading. Hanamanil, my uncle's son, his first cousin, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. He's in prison because Zedekiah don't like what he's saying. You're going to go into Babylon. And said unto me, By my field, I pray thee, that is an anathoth, your hometown, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, Jeremiah, and your redemption, your redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that it was a word of the Lord. And I bought the field. He buys it. There's got to be some witnesses there. And we read that at the end of this chapter of Hamanael, without knowing about that's why the Bible says and they would the new in the New Testament that a new way of verifying these contracts. They'd drive a nail through it. When it was verified you had the two witnesses out there, you had the two original contracting parties, they would they would verify this with the two witnesses. And then when they wanted to invalidate that contract, they said, we're starting a new contract or a new covenant. They'd bring the two witnesses and the two original parties and come out and they'd say, everybody's in agreement, we're going to invalidate this contract. They'd say yes. And they would, that was, they was going to invalidate it. And they would all be watching while they drove a nail through the original contract. That's why Colossians 2.14 has to do with this. Blotting out the handwriting of rituals. The law was not blotted out. The last verse of the third chapter of Romans says, Do we invalidate the law through faith? No, yea, we establish the law through faith. The law comes in two parts. It comes in the letter and the spirit. The spirit 
we talk about spiritual Jews. I'm going to talk about that during this teaching. Spiritual Jews. The letter killeth. That's the rituals. Because even Israel couldn't keep all the rituals. But the Spirit giveth life. It comes in two parts. The only part that was blotted out, Colossians 2.14, was the letter. People say, the law's done away with you. You mean you can go out and kill somebody and rob a bank? And it's lawful? You mean you can covet? You mean you can lust after another woman, not, not your wife? And, you, and that's lawful? No. The law is still here. There's more of a law than there was in the Old Testament because every imperative mood in the New Testament Greek, imperative, means a command, just as much of a command as when God said, let there be light. When Jesus said, strive to enter at the straight gate. I thought when I was a kid that meant to try. Notice the word agonizomai, it's our word agonize. And it's a command and everybody has to be agonizing. A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. It's our word agonize. You have to be agonizing. Is anybody here wrestle with your sin? That's what it is. It's agonizing over it. When you're wrestling, you're agonizing. It's not fun. You say, I wish I could stop doing this. God help me. Anybody pray that besides me? And boy, I do that constantly. Now, and he says, I bought the field in verse 9 of Hanamael, my uncle's son, his first cousin. But there's sometimes they would call somebody sons that was, they'd call him a brother. They'd call an older man a father and it wouldn't be their actual father. They did that. That was in Anathoth and weighed, weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. A shekel was a weight. We don't know exactly how much it was, but it was a weight of silver. And remember, uh, Absalom's hair weighed 20 shekels. So it would be the same thing as, of course, his hair wasn't, his value was 20 shekels of silver, but that's how much it weighed, the same thing as the 20 shekels of silver. I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses took witnesses see that's more important than you realize you should go boop boop witnesses that's just like that evil woman Jezebel she got two false witnesses to rise up against Naboth the Bible says there were two false witnesses. What she did was seal her fate when she got two witnesses that were false. She had to die for that. They killed Nabal. I mean, kid Naboth. And she was going to, she sealed her fate with that. And weighed him in the money and the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase of this contract. That was an old, ancient contract. Both that which was sealed according to the law and custom of that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch. That's the guy who wrote for him 
the first book of Jeremiah that King Jehoiakim tore up and burned in the fire. So the son of Nerahiah, the son of Maaseah, in the sight of Hamaniel, my uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that described subscribed the book of the purchase. All this is about a contract. And I've studied the contracts. And that's exactly what what Paul was talking about, blotting out the handwriting of rituals in the contract. Before all the Jews that sat in the prison, I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these these evidences, the evidence, and that's the witnesses this evidence of purchase, both which is sealed and held up in their courts of law, and this evidence which is open and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days, and they would hide them in a vessel under the ground, usually. And then he says, For saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be purchased again in this land. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Nereah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord God, behold, thou hast made heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretch out, stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Well, that encompasses a lot of things. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. Now, that confuses a lot of people. People come up and say, well, then the children has to suffer for the father's iniquity. No. The way the children inherit their father's iniquity, the father teaches them iniquity by example. And they have to suffer for their own sins. That's what Deuteronomy 24 says. You don't suffer for the sins of your father. Look here, Deuteronomy 24. It's it's so amazing how much territory Jeremiah is covering in this in this book. He's covering all this territory about inheritance about contracts, about ordinances. And that's what was blotted out when Christ was nailed to the cross, was just the ordinances, not the law. We establish the law by faith. And he says here in the 24th chapter, lest that verse should confuse you, in verse 16 of 24th chapter, neither the Father's, shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. This thing of the charismatic say, well, there's a, uh, there's a sin of, uh, of the passing to the children. The Bible says you don't suffer for the sins of your father. You suffer for your own sins. You'll also find that in in the Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles, twenty five and four, uh, Ezekiel eighteen twenty, Job nineteen and four, Proverbs nine nine and twelve, Jeremiah thirty one thirty, 
And in Second Kings 14 and 6, you'll find a man has to suffer for his own sin. Go back over here to Jeremiah 32. Now, what verse was I in? Oh, I was in verse 29 of chapter 31. For I know that after my death you shall utterly corrupt yourselves. This is Jeremiah talking. After I die, you're going to be corrupt, Israel. They were always corrupt after the prophet died. They did that all through the book of Judges. So-and-so would, Othniel would judge Israel in righteousness, and Shamgar would judge in righteousness, and Ehud would judge in righteousness. As soon as they died, they'd go right back to Bel in the grove and turn aside the way which I commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord. And like I said, that's why God would spank them with a razor strap, and the razor strap was Nebuchadnezzar. And ye will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. What's the work of their hands? Making idols. In fact, we're going to see that so many times over. What I'm reading in Deuteronomy, excuse me. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's go back over to Jeremiah 32. So he says here in verse 14, Jeremiah 32. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence a purchase both which is sealed and this evidence which is open put them in an earthen vessel and bury them and you'll have houses and vineyards and shall be possessed again of the land verse 16 now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch the son of Nereah I I prayed into the Lord saying Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven. I read this. Nothing is too hard for you. Verse 18. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompense the iniquity of the fathers unto the bosom of their children. If you smoke, your kids will smoke pot. If you drink booze, your kids will drink hard liquor. The great and mighty God, the God of hosts, is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men. God knows what's going on everywhere in your life and mine. Israel kept saying, he knoweth not, God doth not care. He's deserted us all through the Bible. In the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah, he says that. To give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Verse 20. Which thou set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. What were the signs and wonders of Egypt? Well, doves in the morning. Uh, doves in the evening. Manna in the morning. Their shoes never wore out for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. They wore the same clothes, the same shoes, 40 years in the wilderness, and their feet never swelled up in 30 or 40 degree heat with sand hot and burning. Was that a miracle? God wouldn't make their feet swell up? 
even unto this besides opening the Red Sea, besides the serpent turning the rod turning to the serpent in Moses' hand, besides all of that. And in Israel among other men, and hast made thee a name as at this day. And hast you gotta remember what's going on right here. Israel is under siege by Nebuchadnezzar. While he's writing this, spears are flying through the air. Jews are being killed and slaughtered and butchered while he's writing this. And has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great Terror, you have terrorized everybody. People think God is a gentle, quiet, easy God. The prophets called him a great, a mighty, and a terrible God. Job said, he was cruel to me. He took me by the neck and shook me to pieces, killing my seven sons and three daughters and all of my hands and killed all of my cattle, killed all of my sheep, everything. It's gone. And Job called it being cruel. And has given them this land. He gave Israel this land and they've completely disobeyed going after Baal in the grove. The reason we know it's the same thing that I'm going to say this till I'm old and gray. And that's tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> I, did, I mean, Israel... Israel continued, and he says, God says, I'm going to destroy you with this Babylonian king. He's going to come over here and level your houses, burn you to the ground, and then he's going to tie your hands behind your back, strip you naked, and carry you 650 miles away to Babylon. So you can stay there for 70 years, and then I'll send... I put it in their minds to give decrees to send you back home and rebuild your temple. He did not forsake Israel because it's in Babylon. He tells them that over and over. And Jeremiah tells them all through this book, all you've got to do is go over there and sit down there and behave yourself and marry and have children and have gardens and fields and eat from that and raise your kids and then God will send you back after 70 years. He wasn't forsaking them. He won't forsake you and I when we believe Him. Oh, we may have to give up these bodies, this life, but He's not going to forsake us. Now, where was I? 22. You've given them this land which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what does that mean, milk and honey? I like what Mr. Edersheim said in his book, uh, in the, uh, it's, it's uh, the culture and customs, customs of the Jews. He said, the udders of the goats were just dripping milk. It was so, the land was so rich. And he said, honey was everywhere and the bees were buzzing and the fruit was just dripping with, it was so overwhelmingly fantastic. 
he said they didn't appreciate what God had done. And they came in and possessed it. But they obeyed not the voice of God. Neither walked in his law all the time they were a nation. I keep saying this on this king's charts. There's only three kings on this whole chart of the kings of Israel that were godly, righteous men. Three! David, even after he committed adultery and murder, he was named a friend after God's own heart with his repentance. Hezekiah, no king that walked after God according to faith like Hezekiah. And his great-grandson, Josiah. No king, no king ever walked after the commandment of God like Josiah. Those were the only three that were completely righteous. You had semi-righteous kings like Asa, like Jehoshaphat. They fell along the way, but they were good, godly men. Now, let's keep reading. I've come to the conclusion I really need to read more of Jeremiah, Jeremiah to you because, boy, he has got a lot to say. And they came in and possessed it, and they obeyed not the voice of God, neither walked in his law, and they have done nothing of, of all thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon Israel. What do you mean you don't believe God creates evil? says so over and over again. You have never read Jeremiah if you don't think God creates evil. And behold the mounts. The word mounts is a Hebrew word that means besiegers. Again, the men who came in to build these mounts, their little dirt walls that got, they used these ram, battering rams. It's the men who did this. That's the mounts. The mouse there are coming to the city to take it. And the city's given unto the hand of the Chaldeans. When you look up Chaldeans, it means the astrologers. When you when you look at the wise men that came to the house where the house where the young child was, that word is Magos. That's the astrologers. We get the word magic from that. Magic means the science of the Magi or the Magos. It was their science. There were two sets of Magi over in Babylon. There were good Magi and evil. Why were there good Magi? Because when Noah landed on the mountains of Ararat, that's in eastern Turkey, the son of Noah, Japheth, went up here between the, on the Caucasus, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and his son Ham went and migrated down here to Egypt, Ethiopia, and Shem, the one that was blessed, migrated to Babylon. That is why there were some good Magi down there. And that's why God had to call Abraham out of Babylon to a land that I will show thee. And he took him to Israel. I don't know how preachers can preach without maps and pictures. Because I think that makes it more clear, doesn't it? 
when you can see it on a map. When you look at that map, that is all a biblical land area. There's no other land area except what's on that picture. Now, then he goes on. Now, where were we? 24. Behold the mounts, they are come into the city to take it. And Jerusalem is given unto the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it. Chaldean means Babylonians. That fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. There we are one more time. Oh, that's not the last time he'll say it. Jeremiah says sword, famine, pestilence. That's the first three judgments of God. And the four is sword, famine, pestilence. And then the beast. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. That's the beast. It's always been the beast. A world-ruling system. That's what it is in the New Testament. And then he says... And what God has spoken is come to pass, and behold, you see it. And I have said unto me, O Lord, buy thee the field for money, and take witnesses by Anathoth. That is your home town, your home country. For the city is given unto the hand of the Chaldeans. This is talking about Babylon. It, 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 that sounds awful simple. But you got to look at all the other times when God says, I'll have Nebuchadnezzar burn it. Sounds like some of those old western shows where some guy says, burn it. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Burn it to the ground. Tear it down. Tear the stones of the temple down. Carry all those vessels of the house of God away to Babylon. That's what they did. Then came the word of the Lord into Mary Jeremiah saying, I've never counted how many times this is in the book of Jeremiah. It's all over it. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I'm going to bring you back, but it's going to be a long time from now. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the land of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that's going on in Israel today is about this. They were carried away for 2,600 years, and they did not have a nation again until until 1948. May 14th, 5, 14, 48. I was nine years old when they became a nation again. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered incense unto Baal. By the way, Baal is the same thing as Hercules. And although sun God's birthday was December the twenty fifth, and poured out drink offerings unto other gods. To prove me to 
to provoke me to anger. You mean, if God is angry and his fury comes up in his face, as he says over and over again, you don't call that evil? For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil in front of me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger and with the work of their hands. Look at Isaiah the second chapter. The book before it, Isaiah the second chapter, verse 8. This is Isaiah talking about northern Israel, the ten northern tribes. Isaiah preached to the ten northern tribes for 50 years. Jeremiah preached to the two southern tribes, or southern Israel, for 40 years. And verse 8, their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. They were worshiping tree goddesses. You look at Jeremiah the tenth chapter, the Bible says they they take a tree out of the forest, they deck it with silver and gold, and it doesn't move. That was the Christmas tree. That which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth down, and the great man of himself, therefore forgive them not. God tells Jeremiah, don't pray for them. I'm not going to heal them. Back over here to, it's hard for me to get through the 32nd chapter. It's got a lot to it. Verse 29, or 26. Then came the word of of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am, did I read that? Behold, I am, the, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this land to the Chaldeans. I read that. Verse 29, the Chaldeans that fight against this city. When he says this city, is talking about Jerusalem. People read Jeremiah and they think, Is he talking to pagans? No, he's talking to his people through the whole book. Supposed to be believers. They don't act like it. Just like America. Like a bunch of Baptists. Put up their Christmas tree. Have Christ mass Roman Catholicism in their home. In the December at the end of the year. Shall come and set fire on this city. And burn it with the houses. And on the roses where they used to worship Baal. Verse 30. For the children of Israel. The children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to me a provocation of mine anger and my fury. God says my fury will come up in my face against Babylon, Gog and Magog in the 38th chapter of Ezekiel. God says, I'm going to get red in the face. I'm so angry. You think that's not evil from Israel's standpoint? And from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before my face. He said, I'm going to remove Israel from before my face and get them over in Babylon and make them shut their mouths for 70 years. 
because of all the evil of the children of Israel. It was because they did evil and he did all of this evil to them. And the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests that worship me in the temple, the sons of Aaron, the sons of Levi, and their prophets, the false prophets like Hananiah in that 28th chapter, and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned me the back. They've turned their back on me and not to my face. They haven't faced me. Boy, this sounds really bad, doesn't it? Though I taught them, rising up early, teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction from me. Not, not just the, it wasn't just the sabbatical years. They went after all these other gods so they didn't have to keep the sabbatical years. They invented gods that would let them have their way. But America does the same thing, don't they? Remember, idolatry means to serve what you see, what you put in your eyes and your ears. And covetousness is idolatry. Pleonectes, wanting more, is idol worship. Who's the idol you worship when you want more? The guy in the mirror you shave every morning. The woman you comb her hair. That's your idol. Boy, have we all been idolaters? I'm afraid we have been. God forgive me for being such a fool in my life. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just Antiochus Epiphanes when he set up an idol and he set up a, a, a tree goddess in the temple and offered a pig on the altar. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of Hinnom. He's not talking about pagans. He's talking about Christians, good Christians, believers in Israel. I don't think people, when they read this, they built the high places of Baal. Oh, that was pagans. No, 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 no. It was Israel. Good grief. You don't read Jeremiah, have you? I feel compelled to read every verse of the rest of this book. Which are in the valley of Hinnom. That was just south of Jerusalem. It can't be anywhere but Jerusalem. Gehenna was... Jerusalem had the valley of Hinnom just south of it. And they had two places to the valley of Hinnom. They dumped their trash. Here's Jerusalem. Just south is the valley of Hinnom. On the eastern end of Jerusalem was Gehenna. Well, actually, Gehenna ran all the way across. On this eastern side, they had Tophet. We're, talk we're not talking about pagans. We're talking about believers. Good grief. This is what America's doing. And they would go down here 
to the to Tophet, you can read about this in Isaiah 30. The last couple of verses of it. And they would go down here and offer their firstborn children in the fires of Moloch. And Tophet comes from Toph. It's a word for drum. And the writers say they would drum the they would beat those drums so hard and so loud that they couldn't hear the cries of their babies as they were feeding them in the fire to Moloch. And you thought God wouldn't do evil to them for that? I don't know what to say to people when they say, oh, I don't believe God creates evil. Yeah, you're dumb too and you're ignorant. You're either ignorant or stupid. If you're stupid, that's forever. Ignorant, you can learn. It means unlearned. So they'd go down there to Tophet and offer their children. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of Hinnom. They took their dead bodies of the criminals on the western part of Gehenna, and all of their trash would be over here. When a guy was a criminal, they just put his body over there, and they had fires burning over here permanently and over here. These were eternal fires. It's the same eternal fire that's at the foot of John Kennedy's grave. And daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came into my mind. The reason he says repeatedly, this didn't come into my mind because God required the firstborn to be committed to his work as priest or as inheritors of the kingdom. And since Reuben, the eldest of Jacob, who was Israel, was unstable as water, he gave Reuben's inheritance of the kingdom to Joseph's second-born son Ephraim, that was northern Israel, and he gave and he gave the priesthood to Levi, his third-born. He gave the kingship to Judah, his fourth-born. He says in verse 36, he says it again. This is the second time in this chapter. And now therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning this city, Jerusalem, whereof you say it shall be delivered under the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. There it is again. Jeremiah doesn't waste any time saying the sword will come in and destroy you and then I will send famine by crops will be little to nothing and I'll send the pestilence which will be disease. And that's what's happening to America. I believe coronavirus is the disease, is one of the diseases that God sent upon this nation because of their wickedness. This is not a Christian nation. It never has been. We founded capitalism on an evil concept. Demon, demonion means to distribute fortunes. Capitalism means to distribute the fortunes of the companies and the factories, so forth, to the individual. Capitalism and demon have the same meaning. Verse 37, I'll gather them out of all the countries. You know how between verse 36 
and verse 37. There's about 3,000 years, at least 2,600, between verse 36 and verse 37. Were they gathered out of the countries any time in the ancient world? No. Were they gathered during the time of Christ? No. Were they gathered after Christ? No. You got to remember, this is the time of Nebuchadnezzar. How much time do I have, Mike? Thirteen. Let me give you this. He's Jeremiah's going to say this over and over. You're going to be gathered. I'll even use this again. At the time Jeremiah is talking, this is either in. He's preaching to him. He's winding up to the end when Jehoiakim, when Jehoiakim locks him in, in prison. I'll get it in a minute. Jehoiakim. Or Jehoiakim, not Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Wicked king locks him in prison. In prison. That's approximately from 596 BC, or could be a little later, 92. And then when Zedekiah hangs him in the mire and locks him in prison. That's right at the end. That's around 587 and 86 B.C. So they're under the rule of, they're under the siege of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Babylon is overthrown. So these verses talking about God bringing them back can't happen till the end of their captivity. And so after Babylon... Uh, Persia overthrows Babylon in 539. And then, and then you get down the road here in around 3, 336, somewhere around there, Philip of Macedon takes over the world as a ruler. He is from Greece. And his son is Alexander the Great. So they're not... All any of these verses talking about God will call them back, you're jumping at least 2,600 years from that verse to the... from the verse before it to this verse. That happens all the time through the scriptures. And we know that after Alex the Great, his kingdom split up into these four generals, Lysacomus, Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Well, they never did rule, and Rome comes in and starts ruling in the New Testament, and that's where, that's where Caesar... Julius Caesar comes in around 55 or 95 B.C. And Israel is being ruled by all these people. So whenever God says, 
Jeremiah, they're going to come back. Well, Rome is the beast in New Testament times. And then in 70 AD, Rome has declared war with what's left in Israel. Only two, only two tribes came back in the first century. So all of Israel was not there. The ten northern tribes were being ruled in other lands. They were called the lost tribes, the ten lost tribes. And then so they're moved away in 70 AD. And then you go into this paper I've given you, and you got all these people after Roman carries them away and they're dispersed. The two southern tribes are dispersed all over the world. They're being ruled. They've, the world has ruled them from 586 all the way to the end of time. And that's what is happening on this paper I gave you. And then you see that in A.D., in 70 A.D., for the first 200 years after 70 A.D. into 270, no Jews were allowed in Jerusalem. And then they're passed from one nation to the other. So none of these verses where Jeremiah is saying he's going to call his people back, he jumps 2,600 to 3,000 years from going to one verse to another. And then you have the Persian general King Carosis taking over Israel in 614 and 628. Heraclius, and then in 637, the Caliph, Omar Caliph, the the Arab takes over. 68, the Dome of the Rock is built. Six, 969, Jerusalem falls to Shai Caliph of Egypt. Then 1009, Caliph Hakim. And then 1014, 30,000 churches were pillaged and burnt. And then in 1016, Hakim, another Arab, takes over. Then the 1097, 1077, the Seljuk Turks drive out the Egyptians, slaughtering 3,000 residing inside the city. 1099, the Christian army of the Crusades, so-called Christians, they weren't Christians, they were Roman Catholics. You don't have a Christian army that's Christians. They seized the, and then Saladin the Great came in in 1187, then Frederick II, 1229. These are all the people that ruled Jerusalem. And then he fell in 1244. And then it wasn't until, and I gave you this, when Jeremiah says he's going to call them back, you have to jump to the end of time because none of these people, they weren't back to Jerusalem when any of these empires ruled them. They were seized by the Egyptians 1247. 1260 A.D., the Tartars took over Jerusalem. In 1517, the Ottoman Turks took it over, and the Turks ruled them for 400 years, 400 years until 1917. And that's when they begin a liberation process when the when the English general marched in and took over Jerusalem and made them a satellite nation of the British Empire. And they that and then then the in nineteen twenty the Balfour Declaration was in was 
was implemented, and Mr. Balfour was a ambassador from from Great Britain, and he started the Balfour Declaration, and it was going to last till May 14, 1948. And they fought all that time, and they were under the rule of the British. And when they were declared a nation, May 14, 1948, that's the first time they were nations since 586 B.C. So whenever Jeremiah says God will call them back, he didn't call them back soon. They, it was at the end of time he'll call them back. And I don't know that he wasn't talking about the church. It's just everything he says here is it's astounding. I'll gather them out of all countries, whether I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury, verse 37, and in great wrath, and I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. That has never happened until this past century in the 1940s. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. That's what the end of time is about. It's about everything that Jeremiah is saying here. And I will give them one heart and one way, one direct. And that's the same thing as hados in the Greek. When it was translated into the Septuagint, it was translated hados. And the hados is narrow. Narrow is the way. That they may fear me forever. That's, talk, that's certainly talking about the church, isn't it? For the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant. Boy, I have to go to Hebrews, the 8th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Second Corinthians, the, the 3rd chapter. I'll take them right upon fleshy tables of my family. I'll write it upon their hearts. That'll be my covenant. That was always his covenant. He wrote it on tables of stone and gave it to Moses to literal Israel. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That has to do with the two witnesses previous in this chapter. There's so much in this chapter I can't really tell you. With them, I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me ever again. You have to jump at least 2,600 years forward for these things to happen. And I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart, with my whole soul. He gave, got those kings to give the decrees, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, but they didn't come back. Just a few. About 45,000 out of millions. For thus saith the Lord... Like as I have brought all this great evil. I have brought this evil upon this people. I did it. What do you mean God doesn't create evil? So will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. From the first part of that sentence, I have brought evil to I will bring good. There's at least 2,600 years from I bring evil to I I will bring good. All the good that I have promised them and fields shall be brought, bought in this land whereof you say it is desolate without man or beast. 
and it is given unto the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them. This is all technical legal terminology in the first century. And take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and the places about Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the cities of mountains and the cities of valleys and the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity to return. That's talking about the end of time. Can you see that? Saith the Lord. When you read Jeremiah slow and get the comments from all the other parts of the Bible, it's hard to get through Jeremiah. He is not only a prophet, he is a brilliant teacher connecting all parts of the Bible together. Have I run out of time, Mike? Verse 1 of chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. They they put him in prison several times before they hung him in the mire. I'm going to come back to chapter 33. That is... I'm going to try to really cover Jeremiah... Because he is a man that I greatly admire for his his constant well his constancy he doesn't back down to nobody. I would like to be I can't be like Jesus, so if I can pick somebody I'd like to be like be Jeremiah. I think I'm really a preacher of judgment because people don't like this message about predestination. God doesn't love everybody. And I'm just preaching judgment to this nation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jeremiah. Such a wonderful man he was. Lord, I pray that we can be that way. We can stand for truth regardless of the cost. That's what I want to be. And I pray you'll give the people strength here to be that same way. They need strength. When you're believing these things, we need strength. Thank you for your word and truth. And I pray you'll fight our battles for us because, Lord, I am so tired I can't fight anymore. I'll give you praise for everything. In Christ's name, amen especially evil. Hope y'all are getting a hold of Jeremiah. I love that man. Well, y'all are learning more than if you were going to a seminary. The seminary's going to teach you this much. They're tied all together.